We're still in Psalm 46 uh, this morning. We'll be here this week and then we'll wrap it up um, next week uh, as, uh, as we continue in our Thanksgiving uh, series that we're doing leading up to, to Thanksgiving, uh, looking at God and all the many ways that he is our, our strength and our refuge and our help. So let's read together Psalm 46 and this morning we'll be looking in verses 8, 9, and 10. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, there's several places in the Old Testament where we could turn and and find a story in which God is, is there in power defending his people. More than several, there are many, many, but one of them is found in Second Kings chapter six, and the scene is is this in that in that story, the king of Syria is making war on the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, but he has a slight problem. He has a he has a spy problem, in fact, and somehow uh, the king of Israel keeps finding out where his camp is and what his plans are and kind of what what's going on and so the king of Syria calls his commanders together and starts to embark on this mole hunt uh, trying to find the leak in their their intelligence network and and of course uh, everyone says no it's it's none of us uh, it's, none, it's none of the Syrians uh, here uh, in fact one of his advisors says your problem is the prophet Elisha uh, the prophet Elisha in Second Kings six twelve, this this advisor servant of the king of Syria says to the king Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom, <laughs> and so the king of Syria sets out after Elisha with his whole army and they're encamped around the city of Dothan, not Alabama, uh, encamped around the city of Dothan, which is only about 10 miles from the capital of the northern kingdom, which, which is Samaria. Um, 
And so the, the servant of Elisha wakes up to the hustle and bustle of the people of Dothan looking out over the city walls and seeing this vast army that has now surrounded them. And all of this to capture one man and remove him from the battlefield, Elisha. And the servant runs in to wake Elisha and tell him of the trouble that they're surely in. And picking up in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are far more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So we think about Psalm 46, and we think about even the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, that Luther, Luther wrote based on the psalm. There's that one stanza that says, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, a man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name from age to age the same and he shall win the battle. <laughs> Here's the thing about stories like that in the Old Testament that we struggle with and stumble over and I know I do. We think that that's a different god than the one that we currently serve. We think that somehow that, that that is a different scenario, a different paradigm, a different, a different God that we, we worship. But the God of Elisha, that's, that's our God too. He, he's the same. He's a God who brings peace to his people. And God's power is working for peace for his people and for the world. His power is the power of a holy, good, just, and merciful God. God is a conquering king who will surely subdue all his and our enemies and bring peace uh, to his people and the world. So let's, let's look at this, uh, these three verses, verses 8, 9, and 10. Now, let's have three points this morning. Witness, witnesses, we are witnesses to God's power. Uh, there's the victory of God's power, and then there's the peace of God's power. So witnesses, victory, and peace of God's power. In 2019, uh, right after we moved here, I, I told this story before. I'm not sorry. It's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. But uh, in 2019, after, right, at, right after we moved here, uh, I got to go back to Kenya, and we went on a safari, so we had a, a very generous person uh, pay everyone who went on the trip's way to this awesome safari in the Masai Mara, uh, and if you're not familiar with it, think of like, it is, it is Lion King come to life. It is exactly what you think of when you think of 
African safari, and we drove around in these Land Rovers uh, for for a couple of days. And but it's this vast rolling grassland that is kind of crisscrossed with all these smaller rivers and streams. But there is there is one river, and that is the Mara River, and that is the king of the Maasai Mara the king of that landscape. And as we were there, we saw just about every African animal you can imagine, uh, predator and prey. And you, you literally could not throw a stone without hitting a pile of bones uh, somewhere. And there were these little testaments of the power of life and death that just reigned in this place. And then there were the, f- the fresh kills, and there were plenty of those. Uh, where groups of lions or some other predator would just be gathered around this, you couldn't even tell what it used to be, uh, and just stripping it of everything that made it an animal and creating the little piles of bones that we saw everywhere else. And all of that was great. All that was powerful and stunning and moving and and just glorifying. It was just amazing. But then there was this river. There was the Mara River. And, and these were, uh, we were, I don't want to make it sound like we were roughing it out there. We were, we were glamping in, in this landscape. My, my tent had running water and a bed like, uh, in it. And, uh, and so we were, we were, glamping and we looked out over this this landscape and just right below us was the Mara River and this great bend in the river and on the last day this large herd of wildebeest started gathering on this point of land across the the river and it grew and grew and you could hear them gathering and I would, we would watch them and then I would go back in the tent and you know lay down for 10 minutes and come back and they were that group had doubled in size and you would come back and then that group had doubled in size. And it was just finally this mass of, of animals across the, the river and you could, you could hear this chorus of, of bleats and gnus. Wildebeest used to be called gnus because that's the, literally the sound that they make, right? And, and the herd gathered, you could kind of feel them, and there's this anxious stomping of thousands of hooves that are a good, you know, mile away from you, but you could still feel them. And they all seem to be asking the same question. All these wildebeests, and, and there were other kinds of animals in there as well, but the question they were all asking themselves was, okay, who's going first? <laughs> And none of us, none of us knew uh, what we were in, in for. Uh, as they gathered, we were gathering, and the people that were camping around us were, were gathering. And and the power of of uh, it was I'm not exaggerating. A good fifty thousand animals just jumping and swimming and climbing and fighting for survival, and many, many, many of them not surviving. I mean, it was one of those, the earth actually shook. It was the single most awesome display of natural power any of us had ever witnessed. It was, it was war on a scale that fit the vast landscape of the Maasai Mara. And I was, I was witness to that. 
I mean, I, I, could, I could touch them as they came out of the river and up the embankment. Uh, we, had, we had guys with spears kind of whacking these things on the bottoms if they got too close to the, to the tourists that were standing there gaping. Witness that. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. This stanza begins with an invitation to God's people to be witnesses to this power of God to bring peace on the earth. It, the, the language in, in this stanza is, is the language of warfare. It's, it's the language of conquering and to be witnesses to the power of God uh, as, he, as he conducts this war to end all wars. And and God in the Bible is often depicted in, in one of two ways, right? Either as a lion or as a lamb. For those who are his enemies, who refuse his rule and his reign, who rebel against his laws and his commands and do what is right in their own eyes, who would stand opposed to his people and seek to harm his bride, the church, The Lord is a deadly lion. He reserves the tooth and claw of his wrath for his enemies. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 4, I was reminded of. It says, why do the nations rage and and the peoples plot in vain? Verse 4, he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. For them, peace comes through their utter defeat and destruction. The judgment day is hard for us to grasp. It makes us uncomfortable. We don't, we don't understand it. It's, it's a fearful thing for, for everybody, and so it should be. Right? That's the God that we serve. He's so much bigger and other than us. But as I think about that day and what that means for creation and for those who stand on that day, when we, when we are there in that moment and we will be really there in that moment, when that happens, there's a couple of things that we will not be saying. And one of them is that doesn't seem fair. We're not going to say that. (laughs) When that day happens, the fairness and the justice of God will be revealed to be more perfect than we can possibly imagine. We won't be saying, that seems harsh. Because we'll have this perspective of who God is and his holiness and who we are and our, our sinfulness. And those of us who have been bought by the blood of Christ, whose sin has been covered by the righteousness of Christ, what will we do? We'll worship. We'll worship like we've never worshiped before. That's the result of the peace that comes through the conquest of God over his enemies. Will it be terrible? Yes, in a way we'll be able to describe that day as terrible. Will it be awesome? Yes, we will be filled with awe. Will it be something that glorifies God and reveals more of his nature, including his loving nature? 
Yes. Yes, it will. It'll make his grace all the more beautiful. Because there's another piece available, and that piece is available even now. It's available now to, to those who are currently his enemies, and that's the peace of the Lamb. We're going to be reading this passage a lot in the coming weeks as we get ready for Christmas. But Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So what do we... What do we do with this? Well, first we bear witness to it. We're invited to, to be witness. Come and behold the, the, the works of the Lord. We, we bear witness as those who have received peace with God through faith in the Lamb of God, Jesus. Come and behold and bear witness to the works of God to defeat the enemies of sin and death. His righteous judgments on the earth. I think, I think sanctification is becoming more and more aware of the power of God at work in you to save. More and more aware of the, the holiness of God and, and that, that, that brings about his righteous judgments on the earth. And as we bear witness to what he has done in our own lives, we become more and more aware of the beauty of his grace to save those like us, sinners like us. There's a, a saying that Jack Miller, uh, a pastor and, and missionary in the PCA used to say, he used to say, cheer up, you're far worse off than you think you are. And of course, the, the, the flip side of that is, and God's power to save you and bring peace is far greater than you could ever imagine. The victory of Jesus over your sin is far greater and deeper than you could ask or think or imagine. Bear witness to that. Witnesses to God's power We're witnesses to the victory of God's power. Verse 9, he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The victory that brings us peace is permanent and and it's universal. Uh, He makes wars to cease. They stop. They're over. And that peace extends to the ends of the earth. But not only that, he makes the waging of war against him utterly impossible because he he takes away the very instruments of warfare and disarms the enemies. And in Christ, he has done that by disarming the enemy of his weapons of guilt and shame. Isaiah 53 again, 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That, that even though there's, there's still a, a battle that's raging within you, the war is won. 
And it will never be lost. It will never flare back up. But even though the world is still broken and that brokenness just radically extends to every corner, he's making all things new. That even though you you feel the sting of accusation of past guilt and, and sins, even though you still feel the allure of current temptation, you're a new creation. You are a new creature in Christ. Do you detect the tension in in those statements? We often talk about the already and the not yet of of the victory of God. And and many days it doesn't seem as though we are living in victory. We ask, has the river of his grace and power, this river that shines from the top of the city in the stanza that we just read uh, in this this psalm, has that river dried up? Is Is it gone? Was it even there? It seems like Sometimes God's enemies are, are alive and well and stronger than ever. It's, it's as if our, our minds have trouble just holding on to the truth that, that in Christ we are truly victorious over sin. Our adoption as sons and daughters of the king comes into play here. Dane Ortland in his book Deeper says this, or ask this question rather, what would we say to an orphan, an adopted orphan wandering out of the front door of the mansion of his new family and down the street to the food stamp line? We'd say, what are you doing? That's not who you are anymore. Through the powerful victory of God over, over all enemies, we have, we have present, permanent unfailing freedom freedom from condemnation of our sin let's kind of look at a couple verses from Romans 8 Romans 8 1 there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus we have we have freedom from the performance treadmill of trying to earn God's love and favor 8.2, for, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have, we have freedom to walk in the victory and power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Give thanks for that reality. That's, that's really true. It's really true that we have this victory over sin and death by God's power. And through that comes the, the peace. The peace of God's power. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I, I, I vaguely remember from, from, my ch- from my childhood a contemporary Christian music song that used this, this lyric, be still, be still my child, be still and know that I am God. And it was like, it was Sandy Patty or somebody like that. And it was really, it was really breathy and slow and sweet. And um, that is not at all <laughs> the tone of this verse. 
this is an imperative. This is a command. There are quotation marks around this because this is God who is speaking. And he is saying, stop. This is a command from the conquering king for his enemies to lay down their arms because they've been defeated. It's like, it's like Jesus when he was in the boat and the storm was raging and the disciples woke him up and said, what are you, we're going to die if you don't do something. And Jesus said, peace, be still. And the waters were still. God is addressing not only his people, but all the nations. There was a, a Roman medal that was found uh, from the time of Vespasian uh, in antiquity and uh, depicts the goddess of peace on it. And she's holding two things. In one hand, she's holding an olive branch. And in another hand, she's holding a torch. And with the torch, she is burning up all the arms and armor and, and weapons of war. And the message is, is clear that, that you can either, either have the negotiated peace of the olive branch or you can have the conquering peace of the fire. One day, every knee will bow and every rebel will cease struggling against God. You have the message of peace. As God's people, we have the message of peace. We have the gospel message. This, this psalm that we've been looking at is a, is a psalm of confidence in God as our refuge. And we've kind of been focusing on uh, the ways that God protects us and, and upholds us and, and, and preserves his people from, from his and our enemies. And, but remember, he's not only our refuge, but, but he is our strength as well. That his love and our security is a resource of confidence that we have uh, as we pursue the mission that we've been called to, that, that we have the wonderful news that peace with God is possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And we can share the message that, that we live in this new creation reality that, that by being united to Christ, through faith, we have peace with God. And by his strength, we will win the battle over the world and the flesh and the devil. And so, here's our challenge. Our challenge is to share that message. Our challenge is, is to proclaim that message, to declare it, to declare the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that means daily finding peace with God through the peace that has been secured for you by Jesus. There's a, there's a wonderful tool and help that we've been given by Jesus. And that's the sacraments. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper, especially... When in, in some of the other churches that I've attended and, and been at, most of them celebrated the Lord's Supper once a month, which is fine. I'm not saying there's, you know, one definitive right way to, or wrong way to do it, but uh, I appreciate the way we do it, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But we, we celebrated it once a month, which, which was fine and nice and kind of normal, uh, and 
then in another church that I was at, we celebrated it once a quarter. So about six times a year, we got to have the Lord's Supper. And, but I love that we do it each and every week because each and every week there's an opportunity here to receive and renew and, and be reminded of the peace that is ours through participating in the sacrament together. And we do it each and every week. And so you can anticipate each and every week coming to this moment in our, our worship service where we come forward and receive this blessing of the sacrament that has been given to us. But what would it be like if we, throughout the week, begin to think about that? Begin to meditate on this moment. Begin to look forward to and plan our schedules around participating in this moment each week in which we get to come and, and partake of this, this wonderful blessing which, which points us to the gospel of grace that is true in our lives, but also acts as a seal within us confirming the fact that God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our help in time of trouble. And here it is laid out for us in, in, in reenactment through the Lord's Supper. What would it be like if throughout the week you were just to thank God for the opportunity that we have to come and enjoy this feast which draws us closer to him and closer to one another? Thank him that you will be invited to the feast with him and his people again on the next Sunday. And and thank him for the salvation and peace that are so wonderfully laid out. This does not confer salvation upon us. Grace comes through faith, not through the participation in the sacrament. But the sacrament is something which reminds us of that peace that is ours. As we celebrate it together, what we're celebrating is Jesus. What we're celebrating is the one who came and and conquered and won the victory through his seeming defeat. Through shedding of his blood... We have peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by that cross that we are able to stand now in your presence as your sinful people cleansed, healed, victorious, all because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Though he was rich, yet he became poor. That you made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That all we like sheep have gone astray, each one turning to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Lord, thank you for that good reminder that we now get to enjoy. 
feed us on that truth using these things, this bread and this wine. We pray that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.